Let's pray. God, thank you that you are so good to us. God, I pray for those maybe in here today who are not quite feeling that way. I pray that when they leave this place, they will know more about you and your incredible love, and they may also join in to be able to say those words, you are good, you are good. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for even now how you're going to teach us about your goodness to us, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 All right, you may have a seat. Welcome to First Baptist. Great to have you here. My name is Pastor Brad, uh, senior pastor here at First Baptist. Uh, You have a bulletin, and in that bulletin, there is an outline that looks like this. If you want to take that out, uh, hey, we know there were hundreds of you here yesterday who went through the walk through the uh, New Testament. In fact, show of hands, can I see? Okay, then you will know, what do we say when you do this? This is the 400 years silence from Malachi to Matthew. That's what we learned yesterday as we learned a whole bunch of knowledge um, about the New Testament and the 400 years from the Old Testament into the New Testament is where we began. And you know, today just kind of crystallized why that was so significant. I already had some in the 8 o'clock service who was at that seminar in the morning, the live event, and they said, I studied my Bible study lesson, my, my, my community group lesson in the evening time, and it made so much more sense to me. That's exactly why we want you to do those types of things like the live event. It's exactly why we want you to be involved in our community groups so that you can see how God speaks to us, how he moves, how he gives us wisdom and insight uh, into what we are to know about him. And that's what we've been going over in this series called Beliefs. Asking the question, what do you believe? And here are the six questions that we posed you a little over a month ago. It's a study that George Barna has done. Found out uh, not many in America believed all these things all the way through one through six. In fact, not many Christians believed one through six. We, as I've been sharing with you, only one in five born-again believers believe all six of these things. And so we've just kind of been working our way through it. And today we are talking about number six. God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. And as we posed that before you a couple of weeks ago, we said, is that true or is that false? And today, you probably have more of those questions, as many of us do. We see the things on the news. We see the calamities and the natural disasters. If he is all-powerful, why does he allow things like Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, those hurricanes, to slam into the coast there in Texas and in Florida to cause a lot of life to be displaced and even death in the midst of that. If he's still ruling the universe, wouldn't he want to stop the earthquake like it happened last week in Mexico? Wouldn't he want to stop some of the fires that have been taking place here in California and burning up the land and causing pollution in the air and displacing families? Wouldn't he want to stop and not have the terrorist attacks happen in England like we experienced just a few days ago. I mean, I mean, we've been going through a lot here in the news and obviously the natural disasters that have taken place uh, in the last few weeks. And it causes a lot of people to bring up this question. Is God really all-knowing, 
Is he really all-powerful? Is he still in charge? Can he still rule the universe? Does he still stop and allow things to happen as they have been taking place? And if you don't personally struggle with this, then good. You've come to your answer and your theology. You believe that. But can you articulate that? That's the other question we have here. Are you able to take that to somebody who maybe does struggle with that? Are you maybe able to share what you believe with someone else who might ask the question? Maybe in the supermarket line, maybe out the coffee, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor. Is God still in charge today? Well, as we look at this and we look for answers, let me, let me give you a couple thoughts just as presuppositions to walking into this answer to this question. One is that um, I believe and our church believes that this is God's word and his truth is to be followed. This is God's word given to us perfectly that has all that we need to know. And so we look to God's word to teach us, to show us, to train us. And in even regards to these kind of uh, areas, we look for answers from God's word. Secondly, though, I have to say this. The Bible was not written... Um, to answer every scientific, imperial kind of question that we have in 2017. In fact, some people approach it and say, okay, how do we know that there is a God? Well, we just see it begins by saying, in the beginning, what's the next word there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he was already in existence. God's word doesn't necessarily say how God was created, how he came into existence. And so we begin by looking at God's word and understanding that maybe we can't find every answer in there, but we know enough of what God has given to us to know how we can have a relationship with him, to know we can have a peace with him, and to know that nothing catches him by surprise. Amen? Amen. Nothing catches him by surprise. In fact, the Bible definitely even says that the occurrences that we have seen over the last few weeks and the hurricanes and the natural disasters and the earthquakes and fires, that they're going to happen. In fact, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can certainly pull one out from the chair or upstairs from the uh, pews in front of you. It's on your outline as well. We'll put it up on the screen. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we invite you to pick one up on your way out at our Next Step Center. Just say, hey, I'm just wanting to get a Bible, and they'll give you one. No questions asked. Just ask, read it, bring it back, read it, bring it back. And then when you're ready to get another one that maybe has a little bit more training and notes and thoughts, we can help you take that next step as well. But in Luke chapter 21, it says this. These are the words of Jesus. He says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Natural disasters, yeah, they're going to come. They may surprise us, but they don't surprise God. Jesus here, 2,000 years ago, was talking about this and saying these kinds of things are going to happen. And what God's Word actually says is that when we see those kind of occurrences happening and happening even closer together, it's kind of like the birthing pangs that come about, that we know a delivery is going to happen soon. What it says in verse 27, go a little further. 
says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The day when the Lord comes back is coming near. These are things that are going to happen. The, 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 Jesus says, stand up, take notice, lift up. Lift up prayer, lift up hope, lift up your heart to know God is above all of these storms that take place. God's above it all. Let me say it this way. <clears throat> Natural disasters, um, uh, calamities, destruction, evil, those things are going to going to continue to happen until the day you die or the Lord comes back, one or the other, for whatever happens first in, in your lifetime or in my lifetime. So our challenge is not to get frightened by the crisis, but to know that God is walking through it with us. Because those things are going to happen. But we have to remember and to realize God is walking through those things with us. And the more you stare at the problem the bigger it will grow. But the more you lift up, as Jesus says, lift up, lift up, lift up your eyes, lift them up, look to God. The more you look to God, the quicker the problem is reduced to its proper size and the bigger your God grows. In fact, some of you, some of you, and I know because I've gotten phone calls, and even some of you saying, hey, can you pray with me because this is looking strong. Some of you go home at night and you watch those hurricanes, you watch the news. And then you watch it again. Then you watch it again. And then you watch it And then you start getting a little frightened, don't you? Like the end of the world, it's here, it's coming. And when you do that, it's like, you know, if, if this was the problem or if this was the, the news story of the day, it gets so big in your mind you can't see anything else. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is turn that off and start praying. Not to have to continue to worry about all that. When we look at those kinds of things over and over and over and over again, we soon forget how big our God is. No, he's in control of that. He knows what's going on. It's not catching him by surprise. And so to turn that off and say, God, I'm turning to you. I'm praying to you. I'm giving that over to you. I'm praying for the people who are affected by that. In fact, the psalmist reminds us of that. Look at this verse out of Psalm 121. In fact, would you read it with me? Read this with me. Go. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see what he does there? He says, I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth. Don't meditate on the mess. Meditate on the maker. He is still in control. Still in control. In fact, you know what's interesting in today's age, 2017? There was an article recently in the Washington Post. Here's what it says. It said, anxiety, understand this, anxiety has replaced depression as the most common mental health concern for American college students. Anxiety now over depression. And it drew in reference to the anxiety that they feel over what's going on in North Korea, what's going on with wildfires, earthquakes, and hurricanes. And here's what the article said. It said, fear is in the water these days, spread with a new and viral efficiency on social media into everyone's home and everyone's pockets 
at all hours every day. It just keeps coming. And whether it's on the television, whether it's on the computer screen, whether it's on your tablet, whether it's right there on your phone, it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And if we let it, it will blot out God and how we can see that, God, you are over the top of all of this. Our society has not gone crazy. Although, let me, let, me, let me just say this. Let me draw a reference to this because our society is kind of a unique place right now. And let me show you why I say this. Any of you seen this picture? Go ahead and put that up there, Susan. Any of you seen this picture that made news? Okay. It, it made news this last week, but it was a story all the way back from 2011. This is a seven-year-old crested macaw. Uh, a monkey, um, if you didn't know that, all right? This is a monkey um, by the name of Naratu who um, happened upon a camera and snapped a photo of himself, okay? So this is a, a, a monkey selfie is really what it is. And he grabbed the camera from a wildlife photographer by the name of David Slater who was on assignment in Indonesia. All right, so you got the selfie here, 2011, well, this selfie is now known as the most litigious selfie in the uh, history of mankind, and I'll tell you why. The picture made this, this, this little monkey uh, uh, an internet celebrity. And so, the, and this is a group of people, the people for the ethical treatment of animals got together and decided, you know what? This monkey really deserves the credit for taking the picture, not the photographer who took the picture. This monkey really deserves any finances that have been made. And so they sued the photographer who, whose camera it was pulled from. They sued him. They sued Mr. Slater, claiming that the monkey owned the rights to his selfie. Does anybody see a problem with this at all? You know what happened in our day and age? You know what happened? The monkey won. Absolutely he did. Yes, then there was an agreement that was made. 25% of all of Mr. Slater's, the original photographer's, proceeds would go to help in a wildlife, you know, uh, that would help in the day and the age of Naratu and his habitat in Indonesia and those kinds of things. But literally, the monkey won the lawsuit against the photographer. That's what kind of society we live in today. Any wonder anxiety replaced depression now, Right? Right? Well, I'll tell you what other craziness is going on. And you just read, you just open up a news feed or a newspaper, whatever it may be. But, you know, God's, God's word says that he has created us male and female. Young boy, young girl, we're born that way. But our society has it so mixed up where we say, if you don't feel like a boy today, you can become a girl. I'm surprised we haven't had one yet where if you don't feel like a boy today, you can become a monkey. But one of those days is probably coming soon. But why we put those decisions in the hands of 12-year-olds is unheard of. In fact, just this last week, there was a young boy who now came out because a few years ago, he decided that he was a girl. And so a sex change was made. Drugs were given to him where he could go breasts and that type of a thing. And just this last week, he now came out and said, you know what? I don't really feel like a girl anymore. I feel like a boy now. 
And our society has allowed this to happen and create greater confusion in this young life. I mean, we have a crazy world that we live in. And if you start looking to the news, if you start looking to other things, instead of looking to God, it's going to be like this, where it will feel like it is crazy until you start looking up. You know what the psalmist says about this? Look at Psalm 56, verse 3. It says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in yeah, there were, there were some, you know, things going on 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, where the psalmist was like, whoa, what's taking place here? You know what? I don't want to get affected by this. God, I'm putting my trust in you. In you. You know, probably the most telling story of how this works, and this is so true in my life. I'm sure it is in yours as well. The story of Peter, when he's out walking on the water, Jesus does it first. Peter's like, oh, oh, I want to do that. Can I come out there and do that? Matthew chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. Let me just rephrase what's going on there. Peter is walking on the water, and look at what takes place. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 29 and 30, it says this. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, some versions say, saw the wind and the waves, the natural disasters, the things that could come about and affect him, when he was, he was afraid, he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I mean, the lessons in there are endless. Peter focused, when he focused on the face of Jesus, he was doing the impossible but obviously, when he shifted his gaze and focused on the storm, he sank like a storm. Of course, we all find that, too. When we're looking in the face of Jesus, when we're looking at God, when we're looking to him, when we're reading and praying, saying, God, work in my life, work in my life, we find things just fit so much better. But for whatever reason, we stray and we do our own thing. And if today, if you are sinking, it's because you're looking in the wrong direction. And most often that gets exposed when a storm takes place in your life. I love what Tom said about that. You know what? Those community groups are not only for you, but they're also for you helping other people because stuff happens. And you want to have people there when it does. When you're going down, that's not the time to just say, uh, can you guys help me? Now, it is the time that Jesus is there. He is always there for us. But to have other people around us to say, keep your eyes focused in the right direction. Keep your eyes focused in the right direction. Let us help you. Let us walk with you. Let us go through life together like this, together. You know, we don't have to get much farther than this last, I think it was Monday, 9-11. Um, we remember 16 years ago what happened on that fateful day. Planes flying into towers in New York City, others going into the Pentagon, to a field in Pennsylvania. 16 years ago that takes place. You know that next Sunday was one of the highest attended Sundays we have ever, ever had here at First Baptist Church. You know why? Because people were looking to God. People were saying, whoa, 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 That's what's going on here? My challenge to all of you is to say, let's not wait till that takes place. Let's not wait till those occurrences happen. Don't wait till the storms of life hit. Be prepared before that. You know, it's one of the main reasons we come here to worship on a regular basis. Because when we worship, we don't focus our eyes this way. We focus it that way. I mean, we just sang the songs. You're never going to let, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Huh? 
We sang that probably a good 16, 18 times, that chorus. And if you walked in here feeling otherwise, I would pray that you walk out knowing and believing those words. That's what worship does to us. It allows us to lift our gaze off of the ground up to the sky, up to where God is going to step in. That's what community groups do as well. They're so important for looking out for each other and reminding us God is still in charge. He is still in control. And he's still personally involved with us as well. You say, how is that true? Look at the back of your outline. On the back of your outline, there's a box there that shows you all the way your God is involved with you. In fact, let me just go over these very quickly if I could. You realize that God knows your name? If you came in here today and you're like, I'm not sure about this church stuff, what's going on here? God still knows you. He knows your name. In Luke chapter 19, we see a story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't a follower of Jesus. And Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, going to your house today. Come on, let's do lunch. Saul, in Acts chapter 9, he's going to persecute Christians. He's going to kind of squelch this movement And Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, says his name twice. You don't think he knew his name? Absolutely he knew his name. He knows you. Second thing I wrote down there is he knew you before you were even born. He saw your unformed substance, your body, when it was in your mother's womb. He knew you. He knew you. He created you. He created you a little boy. He created you a little girl to grow into a man, to grow into a woman. And that's what he designed for you to be. He knows your actions and your thoughts. The next one out of Psalm 139 says, You you know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. In fact, it goes on to say, he knows every detail of your life. He even knows the hairs on your head, says out of Matthew chapter 10. He doesn't have to count as many as maybe he used to for some of us, right? But he knows. He knows every hair on your head. Goes on to say, God knows every detail. Nope, let me keep going on that one. He knows knows your pain. Says the Lord says in Exodus 3, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I know their sufferings. There's the next point there. He suffers as you suffer. It says in Isaiah, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted as well. You know what that mean? It means he's never going to forget you. Never, ever going to forget you. Already in Isaiah 49, I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. And then he walks. He walks with us through the calamity. He walks with us through the difficulties. In fact, this is a verse that so many of you have memorized. Would you read this one? It's the very last verse down here, Psalm 23, verse 4. Read it with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. David wrote that years ago. Six verses saying, God, I know you're so close to me. And that's why today in 2017, we sing, I know you're never going to let, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching some of the news that that was going on, the flooding that was taking place in Texas, and 
I heard a quote from a family who was really going through it. I think they had lost most everything. Their home was flooded. But they were working with some other people. And so they were interviewed by a newsman who came out and was asking questions of what was taking place. And, and, and um, there was a quote that he gave about some of the struggles that they were going through and understanding what had happened in the midst of this. And here's what the man said. He answered the, the newscaster who asked him the question about why, what was going on. He said this. He says, as long as I know the who, I can endure the what without having to know the why. Let me say that again. As long as I know the who, that's God, I can endure the what without having to know the why. Because honestly, we don't always know. The Bible doesn't tell us why things always happen like that. But it does tell us that we still can know who is in control. And that comes through Scripture. That comes from different stories. You go to the book of Job. And in Job, we see that set up where Job loses most everything. Loses his family, loses his riches, loses his crops. Was even as some of his physicalness, his boils on his body. And you know what Job says in the midst of that? Didn't necessarily understand why. He said, though he slay me, talking about God, though it feels like he is just putting this upon me, I will hope in him. I will still place my trust in God. In fact, in the book of um, Daniel, chapter 3, we see that um, Nebuchadnezzar is preparing to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fiery furnace. And do you remember the quote that it says in there? These three young men who are locked into God, not going to bow down, not going to start questioning God, not going to worship something else. Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I'm going to throw you in a furnace. They say, okay, that's maybe what you want to do. But our God, who is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, he's going to deliver us out of your hand, king. And then here's the next key part of this. This is, this is what the turn, this is the hinge upon when this verse turns the story. It says, but if not, if you so choose not to save us, God, if it doesn't happen the way that we hope it might happen, but if not, be it known to you, king, that we will still serve our God. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship your golden image that you have set up. We will still serve our God. Some of you today might be going through some temptation. Some of you today might feel like, you know, it would just be easier just to give in to the way the world does it, just to go along. Draw upon some of that faith. And those heroes of the faith like Job, like these young boys who are in a foreign culture who said no. We know our God is still there. We know our God is all-known. We know our God is all-powerful. We know he still rules the universe today. We know he's in charge. We know he's in control. I think about the psalmist who writes about when the Israelites came out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. It says this in Psalm 77, verse 19. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. We didn't always know where you were going. We couldn't always track it. We just followed. You know, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible is Romans chapter 8. If you flip over to Romans chapter 8, let me just camp in Romans 8 for just a bit before we end the message. 
One day I want to do a whole series on Romans chapter 8. It, it is just a phenomenal chapter. If there's one chapter, my, in fact, my wife and I a few years ago, we memorized Romans chapter 8. It, it, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal chapter. In Romans chapter 8, we again see this imagery of a, of a suffering world that we live in, the devastation, the effects of sin, what has happened to the world and to us. And it draws the comparison of it being in those childbirth type of pains that are taking place. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth into now. I mean, the earth, the, the world senses it and feels it, what happened at the fall and sin in the life. It says, not only, this in verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have uh, the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah, we are in it. We go through it. There's stuff that happens that we don't fully understand. We're waiting for that day when God, when you come again for us. But until that happens, look what Paul says in verse 28. Go down about three or four uh, verses. He says, but even though we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. In fact, would you read that verse with me? Read it off the screen. Go. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And for some of you, and that has gotten you through your darkest days. I mean, some of you are my heroes because of what you have walked through. In the bleakest of times, you have still chosen to say, God, you are sovereign. You are still working. And at the end of this chapter, there are five little verses here that give us such great theology of what we can know. When we ever doubt, is God all-powerful? Is He all-knowing? Is He still in charge? Is He still ruling the universe today? Look at what it says in Romans 8, 35. It says, man, you, you can still expect suffering. Suffering is going to take place. It says, who is ever, though, going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. He even goes a little further and says, you know what, you might even suffer for your faith. What, God? Aren't we in line with you? When we believe, shouldn't we not have all those things happen? He says, nah, you're in the world. The world's got a whole lot of sin going on. The world's got a whole lot of junk taking place. Yep, you're still in it. He goes on to say in verse 37, uh, no, back it up one there, Susan, in verse 36, he says, um, as it is written, for your sake, we are all being killed uh, uh, all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's how it will happen. And we see that happen around the world. In the last decade, has happened to many, many Christians overseas. Not yet as much here, though. But one day, one day, the first century Christians were going through it. And so here's what they had to hold on to. And as this letter was written to a group of people in the city of Rome, you know they were just eating this up. 
because they were experiencing it. And look at what Paul writes to them in verse 37. He says, your victory now. Know where your victory comes. It's in Christ. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what that Greek word there? It's a word called super conquer, uber conquerors. You are more than conquerors through what Christ has done for you. And so what he challenges them to do in verse 38 and 39, he says, now you celebrate God's unconditional love for you, for I am sure, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor if you don't get it by now, he says, nor anything else. And anything else includes what you are going through today. Anything else includes any hurricane that affects this country, any earthquake that might hit us, any terrorist attack that might come our way, any World War III that might begin. Anything else, he says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. There it is. Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know through him, through him, of God's incredible love for you. You know, the New York Times ran an article uh, not long ago sharing about how Christians have really beat the government to helping the hurricane victims. How the Christians, and, and you, church, you... I mean, do you realize how you're responsible for somewhere around twelve, thirteen, fifteen thousand dollars of aid going to Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma because of what you have stepped up and done? And Christians have stepped up and given money. Christians have stepped up in churches and made a difference. Christians are even beating the government to do some of these kinds of things. And there was a story about a, a, a man in um, uh, by the name of Rabbi Michael Val, who is a Messianic Jew. That means now he knows Jesus and trusts him as the Messiah for his life. And, and he began to notice um, how Christians were serving one another. And there was a news article about him and asked him about his faith. And he said, you know what? My theology is that if I can see God moving through people, neighbors helping neighbors, I can shelve the bigger question of why maybe this is happening. He says that there are still people caring for each other, to me, is evidence that God is still moving in the world. Now, look at that, and I say, okay, my theology is perhaps a little different than that. I already have a faith and a proof that God has given me through Scripture, but I get his point, and I see how God does that. That for some of us here today, you are the only Jesus people are seeing. You are the only movement of God that people see in their lives. And so whether it's pausing to pray with someone, whether it's lending a kind act, whether it's a meal that you share when someone's going through a transition in life or a difficult time, maybe a death, maybe a birth of a child, whether it's sitting on someone's couch in one of our community groups and saying, boy, what you're going through is tough. I don't have a lot of answers for that, but I will pray for you. That makes a difference. And it's in some of those dark times when we walk through the valleys, when maybe we do in our own private lives say, God, are you still real? Are you still all-powerful? Are you still all-knowing? Do you still rule the universe today? 
at some of our faith together and say yes. And when you know, when you come through that dark time, when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, God, yes, you are real, and you can sing the song together, that, God, you're never going to let us down. You're never going to let us down. You are good. You are good. You are never going to let us down. I pray that some of your faith can rub off on others and that you can help others through those dark times. And in the good times, celebrate. High-five one another and say, God, we know you're great, but when those dark times come, to remind each other that we are more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. And so the challenge I want to give to you is will you be that body in this city today? A city that needs to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Will you be that body even in amongst our church? Would you help one another? Would you care for one another? Would you point one another beyond just the stories of the day and the calamities of the day? Would you point people above and say, but see and look how God is still moving. I pray you'll take up that challenge and that you will live out your belief. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for what your word says to us. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for your calling upon each and every one of our lives. Thank you for what that means for us. God, I thank you that you are so good. You're never going to let us down. And God, in those moments when maybe we feel that, we can be lifted up in worship. We can be lifted up in praise. We can look beyond the mess of this world and look to the maker to say you are in charge. You are in control. Folks, if you're here today and maybe you've been walking through a difficult situation, maybe you've been walking through a tough time in your life, maybe today's the day where you say, God, I never realized how much love you had for me. I never realized how good you truly are and how much you've known me, and you're just waiting for me to know you. Today, God's word says that if you turn those decisions over to him, if you turn your daily walk over to him, if you turn your heart, your life, your faith over to him, that he will walk with you. And maybe you will still go through some of the storms of life, but you will be doing it with a God who loves you incomparably, who loves you indescribably, and who is your good, good father, who's your king of your heart. So today's your day. Just to say those words, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, today I invite you into my life. And if you can just say those words just with me in your own heart, in your own mind, yes, Jesus. And today's the day that you've turned your life to him. And we encourage you to walk in that faith. I encourage you to come talk to me after the service. I'd love to pray with you. I encourage you to sign up for one of our community groups and get involved. That's what we do together as we point people towards you, towards God. God, thank you for what your word means to us. Thank you for the teaching that it gives to us. Lord, we now want to leave this place and live this out. Our belief is in you. You are so good to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we now pray and worship together. In Jesus' name.